and they are, your branding is generally recruiter agnostic. I thought so, but maybe it's, was it was it a little bit more sort of skewed towards the agency side? Would you say? I think say? it was because we started with um, Web for Headhunters. That was the course that I was helping twenty years ago, and that was obviously agency headhunters. But yeah, recruiters are recruiters. Yeah, yeah. People don't know, but Lee, Louise here is one of the like super early pioneers of doing web stuff for recruiters. It's like ridiculous. How? How? Tell me when you started the newsletter, UK Recruiter. That's, Twenty-one um, years ago. That's insane. <laughs> that's absolutely it was, incredible. It was a BCCD mail, the first one to twelve people. Wow, that is absolutely astonishing. I mean, people. I think when the when the storybook has been is going to be written about who's contributed to the uh, recruiting scene, the UK recruiting scene. Um, you're near, you're, you'll have a chapter in there, Louise, for sure. Um, absolutely. Anyway, we're live, everybody. So welcome to Brain Food Live on Air. We're bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. It's episode 224. Uh, and today we've got a super exciting show for you. to. Uh, you know what? I've been wanting to do this show ever since I had a drink. Uh, with a bunch of mates of mine about a year ago um, and w one of them brought a mate, ma a mate along with them um, and that mate disclosed to me um, that they were working for more than one job without telling the other employer and there were two big online employers he was working remote neither side knew the other and it was like yeah I haven't updated my LinkedIn on it and I thought oh wow I heard about this as an urban myth but here we have one guy literally confessing that, yes, he was taking two full-time salaries on the payroll for two different companies, probably using a different name in order to do so um, and, you know, doing something that's really quite naughty. But anyway, um, this, I think, is a coming concern. I think, it, yes, it is one element urban myth uh, from people who, uh, you know, hate remote working. But on the other side, it is obviously an ex uh, a weakness in... Uh, distributed formats which allow for people to ex unscrupulous people to conduct this exploitation um, and I think it is happening and may well be increasing so today's topic is going to be about recruiter fraud how to spot and stop overworking quote-unquote remote recruiters and by the way folks overworking is not my term uh, if you want to know what that means go on to, sub, uh, to, to Reddit um, and the, the subreddit overworking has got something like 100,000 subscribers and they will, a quick perusal of what the commentary on that will tell you what overworking is all about. Um, it is all about people sharing tips on how to do more than one job. Um, and as that sort of, as that community grows, I think it's a reasonably good measure as to the, the state of this phenomena. Anyway, that is what we're going to be talking about today. So that if you're uh, interested in this topic, uh, uh, you're in the right place. Okay, let's do some quick sound checks as we always do. Want to make sure everyone can hear me okay on Crowdcast. So if the audio is fine, can you please let me know um, on Crowdcast? Let me know in the chat whether the, the you can hear and see me and Louise okay. Um, we are also broadcasting this live, hopefully everywhere. Uh, we should be live on this on... On, um, I think Louise, you're broadcasting it live. So if you're watching this on Louise Triance's LinkedIn, please let me know in the comments. I should be broadcasting this on my LinkedIn. So if I can see myself here, um, you're very uh, kind to watch me on LinkedIn as well. Um, and if so, yeah, I've got to fire it up. Yes, I am. I'm there. Okay. If you can hear me on LinkedIn, let me know in comments, folks. Um, okay. We can crack on with this. Uh, quick shout out to our sponsors. As usual, we cannot run this show without our sponsors, folks. So I want to make sure um, that every week we shout out the people who make sure this show happens. Uh, this week's sponsor have been one of the most consistent sponsors um, of the entire year. It is Greenhouse, folks. So if you are a company that wants to upgrade your ATS um, up to um, uh, enterprise grade and you're not using Greenhouse, you should check it out. It is the most popular um, uh, ATS as voted for the subscribers of Recruiting Brain Food 2021. We are running that survey again. It'd be very interesting to know where Greenhouse feature on that list. I think they're definitely going to be top three again. Will they be number one? Who knows? Greenhouse.com, folks, uh, check it out if you do not, if you're interested in upgrading uh, your ATS. Okay, cool. Uh, introduce Louise. Everyone knows you anyway, Louise, but go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. Who are you? What is you do? 
uh, everything in recruitment, so stuff for... Uh, Michael, Adam is looking good today, and you know what? He's been temporarily suspended for insubordination. <laughs> um, so so he, he he's going to be gone for a little while until he's brought back, and you know, he, signs, he signs basically uh, 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 a waiver for a, a, a commitment for his future behaviour. So, um, so yes, um, no, Lu Louise is here, and I'm really pleased to. And Louise is actually quite a regular, um, sort of on the, onto the show anyway. So, always welcome to, ha to have you on here. Um, let's have a review of the newsletter, Louise. Did you read it last week? And if so, what was interesting for you? Did Adam get sacked for not reading the newsletter? <laughs> he always does read it. So, what that wasn't one of the reasons. Uh, he's not oh. sacked either. He's, he's given him four weeks off, uh, give, him a, give him a break. He said his head was aching. I didn't want to be responsible for his neurological damage. So I said, oh, well, I'm going to take a break. Yeah. Um, I might be about to be sacked because for the first time in six months, didn't I didn't read it because I was doing that gig that you got me. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You tell me what you loved in it and I'll tell you why you loved it. I'll tell you what, I'll do that. And you know what? I can't even remember because I'm too busy writing this week's newsletter for me even to remember what I was talking about last week. Um, but let me do, do, do a quick review. No, it wasn't a survey. I mean, but I, I do basically do a poll every week um, right, just yeah. to, yeah, just to get people feeling about what's going on and all the rest of it. Um, but I'll tell you what was interesting. Um, probably one of the best things on the, uh, the uh, newsletter last week was this post by a guy called Michael Talarek, um, who is one of the most infrequent uh, writers in our community. He writes like once every six months or something. But every time he does something, it's like you just have to read it because um, it's always something amazingly interesting and a ridiculously niche thing that all recruiters care about. So what he's written about is to say, you know what, do you know in your recruitment team, how your recruitment team are using LinkedIn Recruiter. Um, and he said, no, you don't, because LinkedIn Recruiter doesn't provide you with decent stats. It has a terrible way of actually providing you information with how your internal recruitment, your, your re recruitment team are using the tool. So he's written basically a blog post to say, you know what, here's how I do it. I think he works for Zalando. So he, he works on data analysis, uh, you know, recruit optimization and stuff like this. So his job is basically to make sure their team use the tools in the right way. And he's basically just written a, uh, written a post to say, here's how you actually get most information out of LinkedIn in order to track how your recruiters are using the tool you're spending huge amounts of money on. LinkedIn recruiter, av average license, I think it's about 17K a year. Is it 17K? Uh, you know? it might, well, it might be, but when you mentioned LinkedIn Recruiter, it made me think of something else I'd seen this week, which is, I'm sorry you said it slightly, but we'll come back to yours, um, which is, I've seen a number of people on WhatsApp group offering to resell LinkedIn Recruiter licenses <laughs> so publicly. Have you oh, noticed that? I'm not in these groups, Lou. Um, so I, I take myself out of any like big groups simply because I can't yeah. handle the noise. Um, but um, Very publicly. Do you know Using their own names, saying, you know, we'll 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 sell it to you and you'll save thirty percent a year. Do you know what? That's crazy, but I can also understand it because the pricing has it hasn't it increased substantially. I don't know what the, the increase has been last twelve months, but it ha folks, let me know what is the, the increase in your LinkedIn recruiter license, because I'm sure all of you are using it. Have you tracked it? Like, how much has it increased from last year? Because it, ha if it has boosted to that level, that's where you do get a secondary market where basic, basically people can no longer afford to pay, and they're prepared to do some things that are slightly dodgy around the size to get some sort of discount. Um, but, um, but yeah, maybe that's another thing we should talk about. Obviously, we don't endorse doing this because it's outside of the T's and C's, and you've got to be careful with that. And if you use a product, obey the T's and C's. Pretty straightforward. Um, uh, but uh, but on this case, it's not breaking T's and C's. It's simply uh, using um, some additional intelligence to try and figure out how your recruiters are using the tool. Because if you are committing this level of spend to it, you better make sure that you're getting best value from it. Because maybe your recruiters need better training in order to get value from this thing you're spending yeah. huge amounts of money on. So really important read. Go ahead, follow Michael, actually. Periodically, once every six months, he'll drop something on, on LinkedIn. It's amazing. And I always stick it into the newsletter, but you might not always catch it there. So make sure you follow Michael on that. Um, okay, um, let's have a look at something else that might be interesting. Um, uh, do you know what? Um, there's another post on LinkedIn, uh, which I thought was, again, super interesting. 
And this was from a product designer who basically listed 10 ATSs that he rated in their UX experience. Um, and we rarely see this because essentially our reviews of ATSs are always from recruiter first. Like very few candidates have the wherewithal to even know the difference between ATSs. They just know they have a terrible experience. They can't tell a greenhouse web careers page necessarily from a workday careers page or whatnot. They're not paying attention to the, the URL bar per se. Um, however, this guy who is a candidate is actually a product designer. So he took a very forensic approach to it and thought, you know what, I've just applied to a lot of jobs over my life and I've kept a record of it. Um, and he just listed 10 ATSs and he's ranked them quite brutally, I have to say, uh, to say, here are the best ATSs in terms of candidate UX. And I thought, you know what, if you are a person that's in uh, the HR tech space, you need to just read that post. Um, or if you care about user journey, or if you care about any of this, this is a post you need to pay attention to because it's very rare that you have a, a job candidate who's gone through process that can actually forensically break down the experience that's useful for a UX person to, to look at. Um, so, so I thought this is a really good post. I mean, it, you know, if you are from an ATS, by the way, trigger warning now, because some of you are going to get a hammering. Um, but, um, but yeah, worth reading. Um, really interesting post uh, to review there. Okay. I'm just looking at the comments, honey. It makes me laugh because people are saying in the comments, check out Team Taylor, check out whatnot. And he's saying, well, I'm only, I'm only looking at them if I'm applying for jobs. So mm -hmm. I reckon there's some work there for him from all of these yeah. other ATSs who want to, him to review their sites. Yeah, very, very. Um, it, it's. Uh, I think he could get a contract doing it. I mean, I do you know what I mean? Um, he's on the market, but yeah. that type of activity, <laughs> he's literally re reviewing stuff and saying very neutrally, this is how I feel it is. Um, and, uh, you know, why would, why would that person lie to you? Um, okay. I'll give you one more folks that I thought was, there's loads, obviously, I wouldn't even put it in the newsletter unless I felt that it was all worth reading. Um, uh, but I thought the, um, the, the one from Kevin Wheeler was always worth, um, a, a quick review. Kevin, I think he's one of these people. I hope he doesn't mind me saying it, but he's, he's probably now, he's a veteran of the industries, Kev. He's been writing about this for 30 years or more. And I think he's like beyond beyond compromise um so in, in other words I, he's at the, 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 the don't give a f type of that type of period of his career which i think is really valuable for us um because it means that you know what you can pay attention to someone who really doesn't have an agenda um and he's prepared to say what he thinks is true and he's written something to say you know what um uh, the, the recruitment market obviously being the way it is we've had two rounds of oscillations where we've had Oh, we need to sack all our recruiters because of pandemic and we're slowing down, et cetera. Then we had, oh, we need to hire all recruits back because we're growing crazy, crazy, crazy town in 2021. And now with, you know, big VC sort of uh, a withdrawal, et cetera, we've had to sack all our recruiters again. Um, and he's saying, you know what, maybe we should learn the lesson on that. Um, and perhaps you know, chasing this corporate in-house job may not be uh, firstly what the company wants because the company might want more scalability, it seems. Obviously, it does. Um, you know, employers want to have a more of a scalable solution. Um, so does it make sense for recruiters uh, to think in-house only? Maybe you need to think a little bit more interim-based. Maybe you should think more RPO-based. Uh, maybe there's other places that you could occupy in the ecosystem that is more aligned with the requirements for flexible labor. So anyway... Not an easy read um, because, uh, but because uh, you know it, it won't suit a lot of people's uh, mindsets. But um, always worth a read. Kevin Wheeler just shared the link in the chat stream. Okay, cool. Let's move on to the show. Um, Lou, let's talk about talk to me about this idea of do, doing more than one job. I mean, have you come across it in your conversations? And you know, what do you know of it? Uh, what, what kind of like stories have you heard about this? So I think there's two there's two things about the title of this show I find interesting. One is that you use the word fraud, and the other is that the term is overworking. I know you picked the term up from Reddit, but there's lots of people who do overworking, as in too much work, whether they only have one job or not. And I guess the implication to me when I first heard that word is you are doing too much, you've got burnout, all the rest of it. And I know that's not exactly what they mean here. But the word fraud is interesting because I, it's not... An interesting conversation three weeks ago with somebody who told me about a rec to rec that they had hired who was already doing a job somewhere else. Turned out, apparently, she had three jobs. 
And he was telling me how this was illegal. And I said, but is it actually illegal? And he was absolutely adamant that she was breaking the law by doing this. Um, but obviously he found it fraudulent. And in this case, it was fraudulent. But if you do both jobs well, is it actually fraudulent? That's my question. I think it's a legitimate question, folks. Let's put it to the audience. What do you think? Um, do you care if your employee happens to work for another company um, and but it, it delivers? You know, if, if, I, if I was hiring a recruiter, I want this recruiter to do four hires a year, four hires a month, should I say, um, you know, not to be high maintenance, just, you know, do the job uh, as you're paid to do. I discover that person is actually working, you know, in another recruitment job, maybe not for a direct competitor, perhaps. Um, and then, you know, doing the stuff there. And I'm thinking, you know what, is, is that a problem? What do you think, folks? Let me know in the chat uh, and answer that question. And it's interesting that there is ambiguity as to what this means, because obviously there's people that work in a fractional way. We did um, we did a, a show on fractional working a couple of months ago, you might recall, um, where people are working for multiple employers but they're doing so with their own uh, vehicles. In other words, they've set up their own company and they're working uh, as, as, a, as, a, as a service provider for multiple companies, one day a week here, two days a week here, whatever that may be the case. We're not talking about that form here. We're starting to understand and crystallize that these are different things. So fractional working is a different story. It's like simply working for multiple companies in a legal way and probably in an explicit way. So I think where it becomes fraudulent is two things. Are you Have you declared it to your employers? Have you hidden it in some way? Have you accepted a job offer on the understanding that you'd be exclusively working for this company and then decided not to? I think we can all agree that's misleading. Um, and then from a legal perspective, um, there's a taxation issue, isn't there? Like, you I know, if you're on a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, how are you reporting this? Um, and I believe you, you're only allowed to have one number as a tax code, as an employee. So if you, I mean, presumably you could juggle it. I mean, we'll find out when we bring on uh, some of our guests, because these are, our guests are, are managers that suspect or have confirmed they've got experience of this. So I'd be interested to know how you actually uncover, uncover the truth of it and how you can prove it. But I think that they're probably, what we're talking about here in terms of uh, recruitment fraud is exactly something that is either illegal in terms of the, um, the the law of the land or at least breaks the the contract that this person is likely to have signed. Now, every contract that I've personally signed as a permanent employee, I remember did include a clause to say I, sh I could not work for anybody else. It was a, it was a claim for, for exclusive of my time. So uh, obviously, if you break that breach of contract, gone. You're, you know, it's a sackable offence. But I just wonder, you know, if we remove that contract, would that be? Would I be free to go? Um, you know, we don't know really. So anyway, let's bring on our guests and have a chat about this because I think it's super interesting. Um, and by the way, I don't want to trigger anyone per se. There may be people watching this as people working in this in fashion. I also want to explore the psychology is behind this. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps it's also, you know, take a society-wide view. You know, is it a case that people are really struggling, um, cost of living crisis and so on, that actually they've had to take on more work? I mean, maybe there's something else to talk about that uh, on that side as well. But anyway, let's see whether I can find the our guest. Let's bring on, our guests are so committed, by the way. Lindsay's like had back surgery, but she's is coming onto the show anyway. Um, we have Katrina, of course. Let's bring Katrina. Bring through Fave here. We've got Lindsay as well. Let's see, Lindsay's all right. I really feel bad about bringing Lindsay on. She's like, she should be laying up in bed somewhere. She um, might be laying up in bed, and we're inclusive, and she can be. Do you know what? If you are in bed, um, we're going to be all right with it, Linz. Um, I'm going to bring Maury on as well. She's got something to say. Oh, there she is. There's Katrina. Wonderful to see you, Katrina. Likewise. Yeah, great. Um, uh, quickly, Katrina, for the people who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What did you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, great to see everybody again. Um, so I have a really long career in TA, which makes me feel really old. So about 20 odd years, uh, formerly as an internal director of TA. And for the last five years, I've been building and building talent where we, we are fully remote. Actually, um, and um, I'm working across multiple countries. 
fantastic stuff. So, so actually, on the fully remote side, I think Katrina, the early conversation I had with you was actually one of the reasons that stimulated this conversation because. As a fully remote company, it's probably the most vulnerable to this type of fraud, isn't it? Um, so we'll look forward to digging into that. Um, all right, we've got Maury here as well. Um, wonderful to see you, Maury, again. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself, Maury? Who, who are you? What did you do? Um, I'm Maury Hannigan. I'm CEO of Sparkstart. We're a video platform for TA for all employer branding and recruitment marketing. Great to see you Based here, in New Maury. York. Yep, and, and Maury's got some opinions to, to share on this as well, which we had a good chat about in Nashville a week or so ago. Uh, so great to have you on the show. And we've got Lindsay as well. Lindsay, how are you feeling, my dear? I am feeling wonderful, and that's not pain relief that's talking. I'd like to stress that. But yeah, I'm that. here. I feel I'm really sitting. bad. If you need to lie down, you, you just go ahead, okay? Um, not at all. Thank Lindsay, you for that. For the folks who don't know you, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who, who are you? What is you do? So I am 24 years in talent acquisition and I'm head of global talent acquisition for a company called Kerry Group. So I too feel a little bit old when you start talking about 24, 25, 26 years. You know what? We're all we're all here at, at that age. I, I think the, we're, we're lacking diversity here because we're all bloody ancient on screen. <laughs> We need to do some knowledge transfer sessions. Where, where, where are the young pups? Uh, they're not here. Um, okay, no worries. Um, let's 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 dive into this, Katrina. Let's go straight to you uh, with this because I believe you've got some personal experience of it as a leader of the business. Can you just describe that story to us? Like uh, what happened and and how did you kind of end up suspecting that this was a, this was a situation in your company? Yeah. So so I've had experience of this across like the, the entire 20 years of my career in recruitment in-house and and running a remote company. And, and listen, I'm, I'm going to preface it by saying, I think there's a few different things to talk about here. It, it, to Louise's point and to your point, Hung, is there any issue with somebody doing more than one job? Like, hey, when I started out, you know, I, I had three jobs at the beginning of my career. I worked in an office during the day. I worked a bar at weeknights. I worked in a restaurant at weekends. Um, so that there's no issue with people doing multiple jobs if that's what you've got to do to, to get the pennies to meet at the end of the month. I think this is, from my perspective, what we're talking about today is where it's different to that. It's where you're, um, it, it's not the honest kind of, a, I'm doing multiple jobs to make end meet and, and I've got nine to five, I'm doing one to one job and other times I'm doing another. I, I think for me, this is more where you are perhaps not being honest with every one of those employers. Um, you've got employers who think that you're dedicating your 40 hours a week exclusively to them. And during that time, you're working for somebody else at the same time. And or where you're using company resources to fund another piece. So in my in-house world, what was really common back in the old days when everybody was in the office, and excuse me, I've, I've had COVID for the last two weeks well, and I can't stop coughing. Again. <laughs> Fourth time. I never like to miss out on a good trend, hung. Um, so uh, every time there's a new variant, I just hop on board that bus straight away. Um, so in my in-house career, what what I, I found quite a few times, and, and sadly over the years had to let a lot of people go, was where people um, were, were working in-house, doing an in-house job, but then they were taking on agency work outside of that, which which. I think that's a whole other debate. Is that okay or not? I generally I'm okay with it, but they were using company resources and doing that inside work hours. So using their company LinkedIn recruiter seat or using the CV databases that you had access to and effectively fulfilling that, that additional work that they were doing, which was also still a breach of their employment contract. So I think that's, that's one area. Um, certainly in the remote world, and we've thankfully we, we've, only had a couple of experiences of it in, in the last five years. Um, you, you do get bad actors in every world, right? And, and we've certainly had an experience with one individual that, that comes to mind where we hired somebody who was a five-star recruiter, absolutely amazing. You knew they were going to do a great job. Luckily, we've got great, great line managers. And, and what we started finding with that person is, We'd hired a five-star recruiter. We were getting three-star performance. 
which was probably passable. Most people would let that go, but we're like, oh, that's not really what we were looking for in that role. And that led us to look at what they were doing in, in a bit more detail. And over a couple of weeks, what we discovered, and thankfully we discovered it quite early on with this person, they actually did have three jobs. Um, and they were doing three full-time 40-hour-a-week jobs simultaneously, one working for us, one working for another RPO company, a very well-known RPO company, and one working for a bank. Um, as a recruiter? As a recruiter, full-time. And they had three completely separate LinkedIn accounts with three variations of their name. Um, and, and luckily, we knew the other two companies, so we were able to ping them and go, can we just check? Is this the same person? And, and it was. And that was, that was number one, it was really encouraging. They've been working for these other companies for quite some time, but we spotted it pretty much immediately. So I'm like, okay, that's great. That reassures me about how switched on our line managers are and, and the fact that even though what they were doing was passable, we knew it wasn't quite what they would have been doing. Um, but, but also it really worried me to think about the fact that somebody put that much effort into it to me that's act of fraud right it's you've deliberately set up you can't do 120 hours even I can't do 120 hours a week and I'm a ridiculous workaholic um so so I was I was reassured about our management controls that we picked up on it really disappointed to see that there were bad actors to that degree out there and thankfully we were able to fix it really quickly um and we use that to do a lot of, you know, updating of our own policies and refreshing. This was very early on, actually, just after lockdown had happened, when I think remote working was still quite new to people and they thought they could gamify it. But yeah, it was a, and I think I told you about that over over afternoon tea one day, hung and your your jaw nearly hit the table. Yeah, I, I think it was that, uh, that uh, I forget where, where the hotel was, but um, that was the conversation that really stimulated this uh, uh, sort of this topic. Um, so what a crazy situation. I think, folks, that's a clear case of fraud, right? Where we've got an individual with three different LinkedIn profiles, uh, varying of the name, probably varying of the picture as well, and clearly not disclosing to colleagues that they're actually working um at, a, at another business and i would say it may even be possible to do like i wouldn't say accidentally take two jobs but like i can imagine a scenario <laughs> where you've been offered a job and then you take it and then you know next day someone else offers you the job you really wanted and you take that and you know oh, you end up like maybe somehow you know failing to make a decision i can sort of imagine that situation but to do three I think you're actively doing it, aren't you? You, you? To get the third job, you must be thinking, you know what? I can actually make some coin here. Think about sort of how much money they would be making on a per year basis. They are making big money um, if they can get away with just chopping out their time this way. So, um, so yeah, crazy, crazy example. Uh, um, on uh, Before we move on, uh, Kat, I just wanted to say, did you have a conversation with this person about this and or did, did they just vanish? Like how, how, if I was that person, I'd be tempted to just like ghost and totally disappear. <laughs> so we're, thankfully, we're, we're, we're pretty straight down the line from a HR perspective. So we had, a, we had a chat with the individual. It was the gig was up, right? They they, they were kind of fair cop governor and they, they didn't really have any anything they could come back with um so we we exited them immediately as you can imagine um and and they didn't even put up a a debate or an argument about it because it was a, it was pretty clear cut but thank, thankfully it's one it, it is so past remarkable that it is a proper glass of wine story you can't believe that would actually happen um i think what's really sad though is you know and in all our experience you know having a couple of hundred at people across 20 odd countries it, it's a it's a one-off past remarkable story and, and the fact that you caught it really quickly and but yet I, I think people think it's more prevalent than it is for remote workers and I don't think that I don't think that's fair and I think that's it's probably one of the things that's getting in the way of remote work continuing to be valued in the way that it should be. There's definitely a case to be made there because I, I believe these examples, we're careful to have this conversation because there is a risk that you can take these uh, extreme examples and inflate them to say, is it a thing that is like truly endemic across the industries and so forth? So let's be clear, these are isolated examples for the time being. However, 
I think the vulnerability is there, uh, in which case I think wherever you have a system that is vulnerable, it will be exploited either inadvertently to begin with or aggressively as the case uh, may be in, in this individual. And let's not forget, uh, Kat, it was your, you, you, you guys caught it early, but presumably the bank was none the wiser or, or the other RPO was like, you know, how, how long was that going on for? So, you know, it, the controls can fail uh, and who knows how long this person might have persisted. Maury, I have to bring you in here because you look aghast at this story. So uh, <laughs> I, I need to get your thoughts on this. Well, well, can I can I ask first, Katrina, if somebody called you to reference check this individual, would you be honest about why you dismissed them and, and what you discovered? <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, so yes, um, I I would because it's uh, it's they're dying as a bad leaper, um, so so they would be referenced as a bad leaper. Interestingly, maybe not surprisingly, I've never once we we have never once received a reference <laughs> request for this individual which I think talks a lot more to the fact that reference checking, and I think that's a whole separate um, a whole separate webcast for Hung, um, reference checking is not as prevalent as it probably was about 10 years ago. Yeah. We, we did reference check this individual, by the way, and the references came back fine, but references are only as good as, as the, the individuals that you've been given to collect them from at times. Yeah, it, I find particularly large organizations that do the, the standard reference check. Um, everyone's so afraid of liability, all they'll do is confirm dates of employment. Um, but in the HR tech company world, a, a lot of us are friends and we talk. <laughs> you know, if, um, and, and almost everyone I've hired, if they've come from another HR tech company, um, assuming I know the other CEO, I make a call um, and just say, hey, w what's the deal? And sometimes there are very good reasons why someone was let go or, you know, things happen. Um, but I've also had people go, Maury, don't touch them. Like, enough said. <laughs> you know, um, it, it, I think it's different in the in the recruiter world. It's a much bigger world and it's harder to do. But I, I find all that interesting. But yes, Hung, I am appalled at all of this. Um, and on two levels. One is it's fundamentally dishonest. I mean, you, you have to lie to your employer about why you're not available for a meeting or, um, you know, and, and cover your tracks. So to say, oh, you know, I'm, it's no big deal. I'm not hurting anything. No, you're fundamentally dishonest at this point. Um, but the other piece that strikes me is the arrogance. The, because no one's working 16 hours a day, every single day, five days a week, right? You know, I think all of us on this call, we're all compulsive workers and we put in incredibly long hours, but nobody is doing 16 hours, you know, solid eight hours worth of work. And the idea that you think, oh, I'm twice as good as the average person. I, you know, I can do this, you know, now um, I, I just, I find that amazingly arrogant. Now it's different if, if someone's doing purely piecework, you know, there are recruiters that, you know, obviously there are a ton of, um, you know, independent recruiters that take on individual, you know, jobs and they do that and they do that well, but they're honest about it. Um, but one of the things, and I, I don't want to get off track here, but, but when you hire someone particularly full time, you know, my question is, are you asking them to do what is almost piecework? Go out and find X number of resumes, screen X number of people, cough up X number of, you know, candidates. Or are you asking them to really contribute to the organization as a whole, train other people, feed management data back up so managers can make good decisions? Like, what is it that's part of this job beyond just the, the tactical, you know, okay, I sourced X number of resumes that meet this criteria. Um, and that's a piece that I think gets lost. We hear people complain all the time, ah, oh, managers, they, they don't know what's going on here. It's like, what are you doing to feed actionable data up to them? What, what's be, what, there's more to a job than this is a transactional piece, I guess is where I'm going. No, I think that's a really good point. Maybe that's like a, the, the, a missing in the bullet points that we usually do to put into a job description. It's all task orientation, isn't it? It's about these are the things you, you're meant to do. But bullet point number one is to how we contribute to the company. You're there to help grow this company. And I think maybe even listing that in the job description, I wonder whether that has some effect um, to say, you know what, 
I, I wouldn't say you know, it covers you in any way because obviously the contract should do that. But it, it kind of just makes it absolutely clear um, that the job isn't just doing your 40 hours or however many it is. It's to do everything you can to support the growth of the company in your uh, uh, professional capacity. Um, and that maybe is something we uh, somehow have been lost in the weeds a little bit on this. Um, okay. Sorry, some jobs are. Some jobs are just to turn up and do things. So in the recruitment space, if you think about a resources role, so if your role is to find um, this type, these organisations which meet this criteria, to find these candidates who you could um, put the, the consultant in touch with, and if, if that is what you are doing and you have to work from 9 to 5.30 every day and you do it from home to do that, then probably you don't have any strategic input on the organisation. And it doesn't make it less fraudulent, but actually you probably can do that whilst also doing a customer success job, answering things by email on the side. Oh, that, that's, that, I know you can. No, I think that's a really important point um, because it may, it may then be how we think about job design and what becomes, if you like, a full-time job is determined a little bit about that component like is it is it purely task driven and is this the only thing you're going to ever do um for the business and if so great we're going to respect that and we're going to pay, pay you the money to do it but probably that job is not necessarily you know um i wouldn't say necessarily suited for full-time maybe it is for the right type of person there's a lot of people that are happy to, I, I'm, I'm paying someone to do data cleansing for me is paid it for like seven years um but it's very task oriented and she's not officially a member of any business she's literally delivering uh, a service 10 hours a week or something so um so yeah i, I think it, it's probably one of those where is it a task or is it a job um perhaps we could call it that, or maybe a job or a career you know those two vague type of titles and you know, we've kind of got to crystallize those a little bit. Maybe it's too fuzzy that's caused some of this to happen, along with some bad behavior. Um, so, Lindsay, let's go to you. Um, you've mentioned you've had some thoughts and experiences on this, Lindsay. Can you introduce some of your um, experiences as a leader of uh, a department? Um, where have you encountered what you have suspected or proven to be uh, fraudulent behavior from recruiters? Thanks, Hung. It, it's... It's been an interesting one for me because when you're leading a global function, there's maybe an expectation that you wouldn't get caught in the weeds of knowing what recruiters are doing. And bearing in mind, I'm talking purely in-house TA here, coordinators, team leads, managers, heads of. But I really pride myself in staying close to the TA teams that, that, I'm, that I'm leading. And what, what happened, I was visiting a country that will remain nameless, long haul. And I went out there and I'm shaking a lot of hands and I'm like, how are you doing? It's great to meet you. And you know that spidey sense when you're getting to know someone, you kind of feel like they're being a bit evasive. Um, and, you know, a bit awkward, not making much eye contact. I'm fully respectful of neurodiversity before anyone jumps on me in that one. But I just had this feeling, um, and so I spoke to the head of the function for that region at the time going, hey, what do you make about this person? Um, and meanwhile, I'd started to look up their LinkedIn and that's when I found in my hotel room <laughs> later on that night, three different LinkedIn profiles, kind of what you were saying, Katrina different spelling, um, three different companies. Um, we were the newest to this person's um, LinkedIn portfolio, shall we say. But again, similar to Katrina, I've been working with um, the other companies a lot longer. Um, what's, what I think is really interesting for me on reflection is we're a very lean organisation, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. And uh, at the time, I had a head of that region of, of the TA function who was spread so thin that they, they just hadn't caught it and just didn't have the time. So I take accountability here. We as a company have to take accountability and responsibility. And to cut a long story short, um, I, I went out looking for some evidence because I thought, prove, prove me wrong, don't prove me right. And in this case, the, this person had public socials, um, like TikTok, Instagram, 
and they're out there promoting like the other careers that they have and it was utterly insane now a part of me deep down thought bravo you know you're you're working three jobs I, I'm almost in awe but really what I was very um upset about to to not use any um terrible language was they were using our LinkedIn recruiter you know they were and again I think it was Lisa in the chat was talking about search strings so I started to get in there just call me Columbo I was in full detective mode looking at search strings going why would this recruiter who's focused on these functions be using these search strings um, and, and just pulling that evidence together, working with local HR to say, look, you know, I know that in some countries you can have a second job, but they have to be fulfilling their contractual duties with, with us. And in that case, they weren't because they were increasingly disengaged. They were turning up late to calls or not at all. You, know, you could really measure the productivity dips um, inconsistent availability suddenly vanishing off calls and I think it was just when all over a handshake and getting to know the team and just that recruiter spidey sense and gathering the evidence opened up Pandora's box and yes that person was also exited from the business too and um, they actually were quite blasé saying well what's the problem <laughs> They, they actually, I, I, if that was me, I would be in a shame spiral. I don't think I'd be able to look at anyone again. But they were like, hmm, you know, so what? Um, you're going to keep paying me? You paid me my notice period. So I think, um, and, and look, for the record, there's been more than one. And over the last five years, um, there's been five that I can that I can talk about without naming names, without naming countries, we all have a beer and we can have a bit of a giggle. But there's a very serious side to it, which is, you know, we are paying the TA professionals to, to, to work. They're brand ambassadors. How can they do that and represent the brand um, they're working for um, with the integrity that they should have when they're also representing other, other brands? And someone mentioned in the chat, as well, like how they keep on top of all the different talent, you know, whether it be passive or active, I, I don't know. But for, for me, the five times that it's come through, um, it's been really heartbreaking would be the, the, the best way to put it. But it's about, you know, taking the emotional piece and how you feel and parking that and looking at the facts, gathering the evidence, and then having the brave conversation to say, look, you know what, what's going on here that's amazing story again um uh, lindsay thanks for sharing that and and I, I like the fact particularly that you you kind of did the evidence gathering um because I, I wonder how many of us might be sitting there with a suspicion um and then like what do you do with the suspicion like did you just like start like calling this person into like ad hoc meetings to check availability, like <laughs> to try and like uh, get them to be responsive and stuff. Um, and that's exactly it. Taking IM, sending IMs at times when you know they should be working in core yeah. hours, and yeah. then four hours later, still away from desk. So sorry, I just cut in on you, but that that's something that we noticed as well. You know what? I'd get busted for overworking for actually doing very little work because I'm very unresponsive <laughs> to any IMs. <laughs> just never available. But I'm not that I'm busy. I just can't. You know, but no. Uh, but the reality of it is, um, that seems to be quite a hard bit of work, isn't it? It's like you've got to do the digging. You're a manager, you're a global manager. Katrina, you're like the CEO of business. It's like this is a major draining of the company resources to have to go and investigate this. But it's also something that you feel is kind of hard to delegate to anybody else if you have a suspicion, right? Like how, how can you even appoint someone to look into this? So it's, it, right, what I want to say is, what do you think about surveillance software? Uh, Han, can I jump in for a second first? Uh, I mean, there's a piece of, yes, you, 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 want, you can jump in and do all of the, you know, the forensics and so forth. But there's also a piece of just looking at productivity. You know, if someone's not coming through, I had an employee, I don't know if they're working a second job, if there was an alcohol problem, there was a problem. 
And it took, I just cut them loose. I mean, I could have jumped in and I could have figured out what the issue was, but it kind of didn't matter. They weren't performing. They weren't, you know, following through. Um, there were all these signs. And so it, it didn't feel like my job to figure out what the issue was. It was just, you're not, you're not performing at the level you need to for the salary I'm paying you. Um, and it's not that they weren't doing any work at all. It was just, they weren't meeting, you know, expectations. And so kind of, so do you need to go through, if you're going to fire someone, you need to make sure that you're doing it, you know, for, for real reason, but non-performance is the ultimate reason that you let people go. Um, and at some point you just, it's interesting. You've got all women on the things. I think maybe we try to be empathetic and cut people some slack and give them the benefit of the doubt and say, gee, maybe they are just, you know, maybe I don't see a lot of emails going out. Maybe they're more of a phone person. Maybe that's why I don't see the activity. Um, you know, you, you try to think the best of people, but at some point you just go, nope, <laughs> you know, um, we, we can't have this kind of salary drain, particularly right now where so many recruiters are being laid off. You want to say, boy, we're putting somebody out on the street, you know, with no income at all. Have we got somebody who's, who's doing half the work um, in trying to collect double that particularly in this in this environment, there are a lot of people who would be thankful and would work really hard <laughs> all time at one job. Um, so there's there's a little bit of just look at the numbers. Do you know what, Maury? I want to just, um, I will address that in a second, but you've just introduced an idea I want to just touch on. I, I just wonder whether this phenomena, we don't know how big or small it is. Uh, we hope it's small, but it may be big. We don't really know because um, obviously it's a fraud. It's a, it's a case of fraud. We don't know the facts. But I wonder whether it was stimulated by that crazy period we had when no one could hire any recruiters and we were just chucking offers out randomly. We're like, yeah, of course you got the job. It's like the due diligence definitely went down during that 2021 period. Like almost anybody who had recruiter on their, uh, their, 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 their profile would just get hammered with opportunity. And, you know, maybe a few people thought, yeah, who's going to know, you know, and then boom, there you go. You've got something. So I wonder whether that kind of created that spike and where some of these episodes did emerge, perhaps you know, we've kind of seeded a bunch of people that actually might exploit in this way. Um, so going to your point more, I think you're absolutely right. Performance, I would say the person is not giving 100% clearly um, because they're dividing their time. Um, and you would assume that that is a, is a, is a probation issue and you know you could, you could deal with it. There is also legislation and differences in different places. Uh, obviously, it's easier to do within probation in, let's say, UK, where there is probationary sort of periods. Um, very, very difficult to do in some other jurisdictions that have very long, you know, employee rights and stuff like this. You'd have to gather the evidence to say this person has breached their contract. Um, and then be very, very confident before you even go and make the accusation. So, so I think it is a little bit dependent on um, uh, a legislation on that. Uh, folks, I'm going to talk about surveillance tech in a sec, but before we do that, I want to make sure that Brain Food Live does not end any conversation or bottleneck the conversation, because this is a very exciting show uh, to continue with, and I'm sure everyone is still very excited to talk about this. Um, make sure that you continue this conversation if you find yourself in a position that actually maybe this is happening in my business. Um, and the way to do that is to basically connect with everyone who's on the show. Uh, so why don't you take a, a moment, grab your LinkedIn URL and share it in the chat stream in Crowdcast. Or if you're watching this on LinkedIn or any of those places, share it in the comment thread there and then make sure you connect with everyone else who does the same. Um, uh, worst case scenario, you're going to emerge from this conversation with 20, 30 extra contacts um, that you can have in the industry that care about these topics and want to continue that chat. Um, okay, two things let's talk about. Surveillance technology. I would not say I've been a fan of what I call bossware. That's why I call it bossware. It's a bit of a, a piss take. Uh, however, I wasn't as condemnatory towards it as other people might have been because I kind of saw, you know what, we, we kind of, it's not obvious you should trust people just like that. Um, you know, there is a, a, a legitimate reason why a manager might think, you know what, I do want to make sure that this person is working as we're paying that person to work. Um, and, you, you know, trust is great, but trust oftentimes needs to be built. I mean, when you're working in remote, let's say, we definitely trust people that we've worked with that we've got some history with prior to someone with no history. So, you know, maybe we need to employ something like this. And I do know some people that are working for companies that have things like 
you know, the cursor tracking software and all this type of behavior. What are our thoughts are on this? Is it some definite no? Is it say, you know what, we have no choice in order to try and police a bit of this? Where do we, what, what do we feel about surveillance tech? Uh, Lou, let's go to you first. Are you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I've just put a link in the chat about it because the figure really astounded me. It was something like 80% of companies with remote or hybrid workers were using it in 2021. So that was really high. I was astounded. Some form of surveillance. So I'll check that out um, because that seems like a high number to me. I know. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? Have you got any sort of tracking software, uh, friends well, in, in the panel, folks? So, I mean, my, my um, other role that I do as well as working in recruitment is working for Crowdcast, and that's an entirely hybrid work, so an entirely work from home organisation. And there are developers and there are customer success people. Everyone works from home and tracking software is not used there at all but giving people targets not targeting on hours worked but on output is what the focus is and I think that that probably means you don't need the tracking software in the same way because actually you don't have to be at your desk at 9am to 5pm you've got to achieve something so organizations like that probably don't need it so much but if you do expect someone to be at their desk then how else apart from going down the Lindsay route of instant messaging them every so often or phoning them up or tend to turn their webcam on and make sure they're not in a field. How'd you do it? What are your thoughts, everybody? Surveillance tech, yes, no? I, I'm, I'm a big no, personally. Um, <clears throat> so it's very much like you've said, Louise, my, my entire career, my philosophy has always been very much outcome focused for, for people at work. Um, I would hate to have a team or a culture where you were you're, you were treating your employees as if they couldn't be trusted as your default um, step. Um, I, I think there's no substitute for great line managers and great support. You know, and the, the one example I did have, it was the fact that we had great line managers who were like, hey, I, I know what good looks like and I'm not seeing it pretty quickly so let's go and understand what's going on with this individual um i i would hate to work in that environment i would hate to be you know have surveillance software tracking what i'm doing i've had experiences before in a previous role where i had somebody in in my team who I really, I, I, and it wasn't that they had a second job. I think that they just weren't really working, um, and they thought that we had surveillance software in that company, and we didn't. So they were interacting with teams by doing things like putting themselves on to to um, video calls when it was only them on the video call quite a lot. And when we actually came to speak to that person about it, we were you know that came out that they thought that we had surveillance software and they thought they were gamifying it. And we're like, well, no, we don't. Um, but but yeah, I'm I'm really not a fan, and I I would imagine that most professional recruiters would probably feel a similar way to that. But but if you are going to have lackadaisical or line managers, or you're going to be spread too thin because of staffing issues, in either case, I, I guess then yeah, you could have a challenge. Yeah, interesting thoughts on this, Maury. I, it's funny, I got chewed out by a, a friend for not doing it, another business owner who said, Mari, like, what, what do you do? Um, and, and I think if you're going to do it, you absolutely have to disclose you're doing it. When an employee joins, you have to, you know, say, here's what, here's what we're going to track. I, I think doing it without disclosure, it almost is, feels dishonest on, on the employer side. The, the one piece in, in a probably unpopular defending it at all, except I'm a data junkie and I want to look at performance and I want to manage well. Um, you know, we're talking about recruiter licenses. Are, is your team getting their value out of recruiter licenses? Um, LinkedIn isn't giving you any data on how much they're being used, if they're being used and all of that. Um, the, to the extent that, you know, surveillance is, you look at it as spying on people. Are you collecting data on what tools people are using, how they're using it, what kind of time they're spending. Can you tie that back to performance? How are you getting better without any data? So if you get around that, oh, I'm just going to spy on you because I just trust you, there's a piece of that, that information that can be really helpful management data. 
And obviously the intent is different. The disclosure transparency is so huge. Um, but I, I think it's not as simple as, oh, you spy on your people or you don't. Um, I'll ask the question, if you don't have any data on what anybody's doing, how are you coaching them? How are you helping them be better? How are you providing them with tools that really help them get their job done? How are you seeing the inefficiencies? What are you doing with no, like a big black hole and then people don't understand how they can't become a high performance organization. So I think making this a black and white issue of you either spy on people or, you know, you have a black hole. I'm not sure that's really the, the right question to ask. Yeah, I appreciate the correction, Maury, but, you know, the black and white is what creates controversy and that creates entertainment, doesn't it? Um, but uh, no, yeah, you're quite right. Um, but I actually sort of uh, joke with my uh, uh, people analytics friends to say, you know what, they're all involved in uh, bossware anyway, because, you know, they're tracking behavior and what, but it, it, it is kind of a gray area, like what is actually legitimate tracking of productivity? Um, and in fact, wasn't it LinkedIn or Microsoft even? that really got lambasted for trying to do something similar because they were they were looking at you know um, some sort of productivity to there's a productivity tracking within Microsoft Office um, that allows people to understand you know things like word production and stuff like this um, and there was a, a dashboard available um, for uh, administrators uh, uh, I was pre AI this was um, that was uh, came out as a beta and everyone like up in arms on it because it felt like an intrusive method of, uh, of, of, of monitoring. So that's where analytics became like surveillance. Um, so yeah, uh, I think difficult, but maybe you can sell the idea of being data-driven business. Maybe you can move the business that way. And, and from that, um, you could get sort of information that could at least tell you where productivity actually declines or whether there's signals where there may be fraud. Uh, Lindsay, what are your thoughts? You've been, you know, it seems that you've been through the mill here, five potential incidents. What if you have an endemic problem in the business? I mean, potentially there is a scenario where this becomes contagious um, and it's like, okay, we actually have to put a stop to this. Would it not be justified in that case to roll out some, okay, we have to put key logging software in or something. Uh, what are your thoughts? No, for, for me, um, no. Um, look, I, I've worked remotely myself actually for, for 16 out of the 24 years. And if I thought for one minute, that there was regular screenshots of what I'm doing, you know, tracking clicks, keystrokes, um, you know, even noting where I'm working from that day. Um, it, it's just a no for me, and it goes back to I am a big believer in trusting the team and empowering the team. Um, I think if there was something that that we could see was a bigger problem. I still, I couldn't with good conscience go down the route of surveillance. I think it's really down to, as leaders, what can we do to address, let's look at the root cause, why, the five whys and get to why is this happening? And I know a lot of people talk about, you know, and I say it as well, what gets um, measured or monitored will, will often, you know, increase productivity. But for me, the big question would be, is it worth it? Um, and for me, no, I'd much rather take those certain, the, the kind of situations I've had over the years um, and learn from each case um, before I would ever endorse any surveillance tech. Yeah, very good answer, Lindsay. Thank you very much. Um, okay, we're coming rapidly to the end of this end of our time, everybody. So we have to put it uh, to a close here. Um, uh, this is obviously a, a really interesting uh, conversation, not an easy one to have because obviously no one wants to talk about uh, some of the negative components of of work life. Uh, but it does seem to exist, and you know, it, we, it's really useful uh, for to hear. Uh, people who've experienced share their stories here because it might just help someone else who's a manager right now or owner of a business that has a suspicion and they, they, they're not sure whether they're going nuts because I can imagine there's a paranoia involved as well, isn't there? If you're sitting there, you have a suspicion, you think this can't be happening, but actually sometimes it does um, and it's worth uh, just surfacing this up and having this debate. So thank you everyone for joining us, especially Katrina, Hitchison and Neil. I didn't realise you were ill, my dear, so I want to get you off the call ASAP so you can get yourself hot toddy and have a lie down. Um, uh, Maury, I never dehydrate when you're coughing. I've, my water intake has never been higher. 
Yeah, well, listen, do take care of yourself, Katrina. Thank you so much for coming on to the show when you're not feeling 100%. Uh, Maury, wonderful to see you uh, again. Hopefully, we'll continue our dialogue. We'd love to get you back on the show. Uh, Lindsay Taylor, thank you so much for joining the show also. I know that you've just been out of hospital, so please take care of yourself. Um, have a good week uh, weekend um, and take care of yourself, guys. Thank you, everyone, everyone on the uh, the panel. Uh, and Louise, I know you've got to jump as well, so thank you for joining us and uh, and uh, supporting as you in your amazing co-host capacity um we'll catch up with you soon okay um take care louise thank you cool oh, wasn't that great everybody um what an interesting conversation what an interesting show um i also have to get off the call because i've got things to do this afternoon i hope everyone enjoyed that conversation um we have lots of people chatting about it and, and getting excited about this topic um, a tough one to deal with. I do think we're going to have to have another one uh, dealing with this because um, it, it's it's a vulnerability, um, and, but maybe a an ongoing reality of the future of work, particularly when we're outside of the you know physical proximity. Um, uh, uh, if we are going to a future where we have a mix of flexibility, certainly whatever future we have, it's going to be more flexible than it was before in the past. Um, then, of course, we're going to get sort of uh, people who are prepared to exploit the, the new vulnerabilities that have emerged. Anyway, if you've enjoyed this conversation, make sure you follow the channel. Uh, we do this every Friday. We're back next week. We've got another amazing show for you folks. We've got these really creative ideas as to what uh, to talk about in recruiting. We're going to be talking about the psychological impact of different candidate assessments. Have you ever thought about this? Um, we have a battery of, of assessments of, of candidates. Uh, we're gonna review profile, we're gonna do a telephone interview, we're gonna do a video interview, take home test, technical exercise, whatever it's gonna be. Um, have we even thought about what the psychological impact is on each of those tests for different personality types? Um, answer is we haven't. Um, well, let's have a think about it because surely this is a DE&I issue. Um, we're going to bring in a load of psychologists onto the show next week, folks, where we are going to examine the different categories of assessment we use and then think about what sort of pressure that puts onto certain personality types and how fair or not fair that may be. Um, so it's another mind-expanding breakthrough live on air. Uh, make sure you register for the, for the show. It is already up and running, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for watching, everybody.